Casa de Cambio. On this episode of Casa de Cambio, it is episode nine of season seven. We only have one more episode to go and I am super excited to be joined by Christiana Anderson. Welcome, Christiana. Thank you so much, Natasha. I am so excited to be here and I'm really excited about the topic we're going to talk about as well. So let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, How's your weekend been? It's been good, actually. Uh, I went and did my first rowing lesson this morning. And if you want to talk about unlearning and learning new skills and having a beginner's mindset, I can tell you a story about that because <laughs> it was really, really hard. And it's like, oh, you know, you should embrace the learning. So I'm like, no, I just did everything wrong. And someone told me to move my elbow here and that leg's in the wrong position. And so it was a really a great experience to learn what, um, how hard it is to learn. And because I, I go off and teach others, oh, new behaviors, new ways of working. And then like, I, oh, why are they I being go so there. Insistent? Why don't they get it? Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't be that hard. <laughs> and what was hard the, about it? The rowing. Yeah. Coordination. There is right. so many things to do at once between your body and where the uh, oar needs to be and the positions and all the steps between that. And then it has all very precise names. So it has its similar to. I suppose agile, it has all its own special lingo and all its own special meaning. And so you need to know the, the lingo and the meaning and what you have to do with that. And so it becomes a whole new language you need to learn as well as how to behave and act around that. Uh, putting that all together is is quite challenging. Well, I commend you for your um, take on it and your perspective because I recently, well, it was September of last year, I tried skiing for the first time because <laughs> uh, I went to a music, I went on holiday to Queenstown with my friend Squid, hi Squid, um, and I hated it. Yeah, I was like. <laughs> what did you so, hate? Well, just being, yeah, I hate things that I'm not good at straight away. Yeah. And I was like, yes. like, I did, so I did a, you know, a, a lesson because I was like, well, I'm going to be in Queenstown. I haven't been, yes. you know, when in Rome. Um, and so booked the lesson. I mean, the first thing was the ski boots. They suck. Wearing ski boots is terrible. You can't mm-hmm. move your ankles. You no. can't walk downstairs properly. Um, and I was like, oh, you're walking like a robot. And then yes, you are. like the start of it was fine where they're showing you how to get in and out of the equipment and you kind of just on a flat bit. But then the bit where we actually got on the hill and had to start skiing, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> like I couldn't do any of the things to stop you. Like I, I would try and like go sideways up a hill and then I would end up skiing backwards and falling over. And the lesson went for two hours. And I had a feeling I was going to not like it. Yeah. But I was like, I'll do the lesson. It went for two hours. And I was like, cool, done my two hours. I returned my equipment and then I went and got a drink. Like an alcoholic drink. Never <laughs> again. And I was I'm like, trying to. I'm trying okay. to really unpack the connection between it's hard and I and I can't do it. To, uh, you know, I I it's um it's something I, I don't want to do, and hence I'm not good at it, and so that's why I don't want to do it. And I think that's a really important uh, thing to to disconnect between I'm new at this, and because I don't, I'm, because I'm not good at it, I don't like it. And hence, I won't continue with it. And I think that's something to really learn and, and unpack. And so I'm trying to stay in that space and not get into that trap because that's, I walked away from that and I was going to think <laughs> about, I've got a friend who rose over in Europe and I was thinking, can I have a big whinge to her about how hard it is? And I'm thinking, no, it's actually just, it's a learning experience. And then the other thing that's, there's two more things that came into it that really 
appointed for this podcast about teamwork. So there's teamwork and unlearning. So there's one person that's right in the past. He's got a whole bunch of other terms and behavior. So he needed to be corrected constantly to not say and do the things that he'd learned in the past because he, like, he mm. kind of knew it. So sometimes when we know a little bit, it's dangerous to learn something new. And then the other one was about teamwork because there's four of us in this, in this boat uh, trying to learn and we all learn at different paces. And if you, and you, you can only actually go together if you're all in the same rhythm. So if someone stops and someone doesn't do the right thing, then you, everything stops and you have to start again. And so mm. that was a really interesting lesson and having to feel my own frustration with me not being able to pull the team forward and others are as well. And so yeah. I think that's such a such a good lesson to realize how co interdependent we are with one another, but also how much we need mm. to build empathy for others that are not learning as fast or have things to unlearn or have yeah. assumptions of how things should be and are just not hearing it's even the, the instructions and the words don't connect to what you need to do and someone says do this and that it's not doing it because they can't hear it that's so such mm. an interesting one from from being a, a learner versus a teacher to see mm. that difference and realize how incredibly difficult it is not just to learn but also to teach yeah so. and what you said before about understanding that you're brand new at something like so many people told me you're gonna your first ski when you first start skiing or snowboarding it's terrible you're gonna hate it yep. you know I heard stories about from friends who are like avid skiers their first lesson they you know crack the shits through this with throwing their skis away like down the mountain because they were so mad <laughs> um and everybody said you've just got to I mean look we only had the one there was a lot of stuff going on that week where we didn't have the lesson at the start of the week and I'm like oh should I go back try it again maybe I don't know I'm sure if I end up in a ski field somewhere I'll but I think a private lesson might be better because I was like you I was like I'm letting down the rest of the group because I am yeah. not getting it yes. and everyone has to wait for me yeah <laughs> to put my skis <laughs> back on because they fell off yes so yeah but um I think that's a good analogy it is um, and, and good talk about agile because we were talking about, you know, iteration with it yes. before we hit record with a number of, with our health. Yes, and, indeed. You know, our energy levels and also, yeah, with how we react to learning something new. Absolutely. And, and also how we react to the teacher because th this person's daughter is an Olympian rower and she was herself. And sometimes we like to blame the teacher's inability to teach on her own, not learning fast enough and, I was sitting there trying to find fault at that as well, but I couldn't. <laughs> so yeah. it's just so wonderful to see the humanity come through and everyone's like, yeah, we're all the same. We all try to externalize responsibility for our learning or or stop um, taking responsibility for, for in, in some other way by saying it's actually too hard or I don't have just talent or my legs don't work or anything like that, no, you know. So I definitely don't have the talent and my legs don't work. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I'm a big nerd. I belong, you know, indoors. <laughs> <laughs> um but speaking of nerds I might set, segue into the topic since we are recording a podcast on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> it's quite nerdy um we're gonna talk today. yeah but fun we're gonna it is a beautiful day outside as well so I, I actually am gonna get out there after this I'm gonna go for a bit of a walk down the beach um but we're gonna talk today about leaning with empathy yes um but before we get into that there are two questions I ask every guest who comes on to Casa de Cambio podcast and the first one is what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to? 
do we have all the show to talk just about that? <laughs> I don't think we do. <laughs> so I, I did have that question before. And so I said, well, how do I curb this into something that's like three points and that should yes. be enough, you know? <laughs> so otherwise we will be here forever. Yes. So I, I, I call, I categorize it into kind of three things, like uh, technical things and skills that I need to build upon and, and improve upon. So currently I'm still rereading a Better Value, Sooner, Safer, Happier. It's something I also mentioned in my talk last year at Agile Australia. And I'm still delving into learning from, from the book and applying that to my work. Uh, the other one I'll use, uh, I'm also doing is I've started a, I did a, an executive coaching or leadership coaching course last year. And so to, to be a good coach, I'm talking about one-on-one -on -one coaching, you need to re-go re over your models and your questions and your frameworks and the things you work with people. So I tend to do that and keep keep my practices fresh because otherwise I'll just get, get stale and keep keep uh, and I keep asking the same questions. And uh, the other one is uh, something I came across uh, is a book called Authentic Relating by a guy called Ryle Kestro. And I got really interested on that because it's about learning how to, the topic of reacting versus responding. So reacting mm. to a situation versus responding and, and how do we tap into, I suppose, working through that reactivity, building some mindfulness to it. And a big topic in my life, I think is some, well, for me is embodiment. So getting out of your head and feeling what your body's feeling and what's actually happening for you and being able to uh, communicate that and that really taps into vulnerability. So uh, I've only been only a couple of chapters into that book, um, but I find it really, really interesting because it kind of pulls together all these other thoughts I've had and other things I've read. And so definitely a challenging one. Uh, one more thing I'm doing, I'm, I'm listening to podcasts and I got onto one from a guy called Michael Hobbs and the podcast title is If Books Could Kill and I absolutely Ooh, love that. <laughs> great name. And it's it's critical reviews and analysis and a really fun way of, of books that have captured the hearts and minds and really influenced all of us, something like The Secret or other things that Oprah chucked on her show. And really what I love about the podcast, it's, un it's unlearning of the cultural conditioning of the things we think are true and everyone kind of talks about a lot and uh, it's it's debunking a lot of stuff, and mm. I really like that. So I find that really really refreshing and um, exciting. Great, great. And what was the best piece of career advice you ever received? It, it's something that I still use. It's a really great one. It's from my my one of my mentors. Uh, he's a behavioral assessor, and he's taught me everything that I know about people and behavior. And uh, it's. It's it's something that sounds really simple, but actually it's hard to do. It's got to be loyal to yourself. How do you find out what you're naturally good at? It's kind of like what you get feedback on from your environment, but people recognize and talk to you about, oh, you're so good at this and you're so good at that. Also find other ways of finding out what you're naturally good at, what you enjoy doing, what stretches you, what gives you meaning, and then get really good at that. And that's, that's a, um, I think that's a lifelong journey. And the, the way I put that into my world is I look at it and go, there's a, there's a challenge between the ambition-driven world, the status we want to have, the roles we want to have, and the meaning we, we have and get through our career and through our lives. And there's you know, there's something we get taught uh, and as, as children around, you know, external validation is something we need to live by in order to belong. And so there's a lot of that going on unconsciously that drives us still. And so those patterns still run our lives. And, and I think... A lot of midlife crises come from that that space of, of 
I've got the great job, I've got the great career, but somehow I feel empty on the inside. And that's something that I think people face, most people face in their lives numerous times. And it's a wonderful opportunity to question yourself and figure out what it is that you want to do next and who you are. And that's where finding what you really love and getting good at that is about finding a way to bring more meaning into your life and to your everyday. And rather than jumping onto the next career thing or the next external stuff that gives you validation and uh, makes you look good in front of others. So uh, I think it's something inherently in people because we are searching for meaning. Um, I just found that career advice really helpful because it also gives me a framework of how to do that. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And it can apply no matter how senior or junior or where you are in your career as well. Yes. Yeah. Anywhere in your life. And, uh, and and when I work with people it, in that same manner, that's where I come from. Mm. That's real space. Wonderful. Wonderful. So on to leading with empathy. So yes. first question for you is what do leaders, as in, you know, executives and change sponsors, what do they need to do to set their change up for success? Because I'm a change manager. I have a view. But what do people need to do at the leading and leading level? Yeah. The first thing I think that needs to be spent a lot of time on is coherent alignment in within the leadership group, but not agreement, not co- coercion, but alignment around what's most important. Yeah. Figuring out that why and what what the foundation is, why you want to change, and uh, clear being getting very clear on that is is it sounds really simple, but it's not, and you know you know that as well. It's not simple at all. So having that change management approach that lives there is really important. A simple, clear path forward. It can't be too convoluted. So if we're talking about the steps and the how, uh, we need to have clear uh, success metrics defined as well. We need to know what good looks like. We need to know when, we, when we're there, how can we measure that? And one thing that I find is really, really important, and I realize people can tend to fall down on and lead us, is communicate early and often avail- and make information available in various ways and have ways of bringing, getting feedback. So these days, everything's online. You, you have in the past you had walls or open forums and surveys but i think just put a mirror board up hey this is what we're doing what do you think and put a sticky on so building mm-hmm. more of that open communication i love really remote working organizations such as gitlab where say everything's available by, by default versus mm-hmm. um, hide things away and make things available by exception so really shifting that mindset of how do we actually bring more information to the people not produce a very refined document that we give them at the end of multiple iterations of making things yeah. look good and coherent and fully understanding, to, we're not taking them along a journey. We're providing with some sort of one-pager end result. And mm. sometimes the, I think that just doesn't land. I think people just don't oh. feel like they're part of anything. They just get oh. given something that, that looks very polished. And because it looks so polished, people are hesitant to give feedback. So you don't get that innovation. You don't get that criticism. And so yeah. that's what leaders really need to rethink. It's rethinking the approach of how we do change. Well, often it's not possible to give feedback or feedback's not wanted because if you've already gone through all the iterations and you're yeah. only bringing in, you know, your end users or your impacted people right at the end, it's like, well, there's no more room for, oh, that's a great idea, but we can't do it because we're in blah, blah, blah phase of the project now. Correct. And, you know, we don't have any budget for that. And it's like, well, maybe you should have done that at the start because yes. people who are, you know, the users of a product or a system or a process or whatever you're bringing in, they're going to have a better idea of how it yes. relates to their role and how the business is run from their perspective. So they're going to have some really valuable feedback. Yep. 
Yeah. And it, and part of the reason it doesn't land is maybe there's some stuff that was missed because key people weren't consulted. So yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a really, really big one as well. It's a, it's, it's probably redefining when you talked about what leaders need to change is redefining their role as leaders. You're mm-hmm. not there to figure out the, the the doing and the how you're you're here to set the strategy and then make sure you involve the right people to figure out how it's going to work so that's a shift here because a lot of leaders are experts and then they have this sort of apprentice expertship model you know so I'm going to teach you my skills rather than leading by I'm going to be here to remove roadblocks and provide you with with the space and the support to go and do the thing that we uh, we need you to achieve and I'll set the overall strategy and the the outcomes so that's certainly something that we come up against with leaders and say, well, if other people do the work and do all the thinking, then what do I do? And I said, well, you hire the experts exactly to do that. Mm. You just you set the frame and you remove the roadblocks. And this is where I suppose the, the next step comes in what what does leaders what do leaders need to sort of build within that? And that is about adopting them um, the mindset or the skill, and I would call it the skill of systems thinking. And a lot of leaders not necessarily have got that. I've seen some of them. I see evidence of some of it, but most people don't have the systems, or some leaders don't have the systems thinking approach. So they need skills in order to understand how to actually improve the system of work and the system of people, and that and that can be a challenge uh, to also bring to life because it can be a detractor because they're seeing the people as, as as individuals, and you need to actually change the system as a whole. And and that's that's another hurdle to overcome and to embed embed new behaviors and embed new ways of working. Mm. 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 Um, anything else leaders need to do to set the change up for success? Well, I suppose if you're looking at behaviors and um, um, attitudes and mindset, it's probably what what you mentioned before, like become curious. So you don't have all the answers, so become curious about who could. Uh, it's uh, having that that attitude of being able to lean into the discomfort of unknowing and uh, mm. and the newness uh, i think that there's a lot of challenges leaders are facing on a day-by-day basis lots of decisions need to be made sometimes of minimal information and so it's it's understanding what's what what is my level of risk appetite in order to make a decision and move forward and what is you know do i need perfection do i need to know everything or can i be comfortable with 50 or 60 percent and mm. make it make a calculated bet on that i think that's another thing to unlearn because we we come through a world where certainty is something that is expected and uh, everything has to be completed and finished before it gets signed off and so these sort of things need to change as well yeah mm. yeah i um worked at a place I'm not going to say the name, but I remember um, it was a place, a company where a lot of senior people, like people had, a, it was very common for people have, to have a long t- tenure in that organization. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people who were very senior had started their careers working in the retail, to, you know, part of mm-hmm. that company. And even though it had been maybe 10 or 20 years since they'd worked on the shop floor, they... Yes had an attitude that they knew all about it. Yes. It was really hard to convince that lots of things have changed since then. Yeah. And I remember like I was, (laughs) I was trying to set up basically a, you know, I guess I could, would call it a change champion network Mm -hmm. um, where, cause you know, nobody from the front line was being asked about any of the initiatives that were being put into stores and I found that really strange. So I thought, oh, well, this is a really quick win for me. You know, I was new in the role and 
I thought this is very foundational, <laughs> but it turned out I was being, I was very disruptive and I was told on a number of occasions, you know, I know what customers want. I know what it's like and from executives. And also we right. have, we have a lot of, we have enough opinions. And I was like, we have too many opinions of senior head office people and not enough opinions of, I just wish I'd said that out loud. <laughs> I kept it to myself, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, that's really resonating because that what you said before is very, very reflective of some experiences I've had, like the curiosity yeah. and the, the um, beginner's mindset isn't there. Yeah. And then it becomes and I think, corrective. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. I think in addition to that is, is the leaders maybe need to look like they know things and mm-hmm. very quickly saying, yeah, I know this. So I was working with some leaders in the past and we talked about some leadership models and I said, well, there's there's this one here. Uh, it doesn't really matter which one it is. And and they're like, oh yeah, we know that one. That's all good. And then later on, I introduced the term and they completely misunderstood it and really it referred back to realizing that they actually hadn't, they knew something. Knowing is not the same as appreciating, having a relationship with it, understanding it, mm-hmm. having tried it and uh, really, I suppose, involving yourself into it so there's I think a lot that leaders have as as buzzwords and concepts that is in their heads and they think they know what it means similar yeah. with agility agility is agile scrum right <laughs> so it's it's having a scrum master and we're agile so there's a lot Everything's of assumptions yeah <laughs> there's a lot of assumptions that people make that leaders make and quite naturally so because that's what we do as humans we build these shortcuts in order to know what we know and in order to build build a picture of the things that we don't know so it's it's the job I suppose our job is, is change agents in, in the role to re-educate and help unlearn and re- debunk some of those things and challenge as well to say well actually this is what it actually is and what it isn't and that's what you thought it was and so leaders probably have sometimes a need to jump to pretending not pretending but more thinking that they know or saying that they know when they when they don't yeah it does take a lot of confidence to say I don't know what that means or I think I think what what I think of when you say that word is different to what you think of yeah so let's talk about that because you know a lot of people are scared like they don't want to look silly correct so it and yeah I think it, it does take I don't want to use the word brave, but I think you need to be confident enough in your own intellect and abilities to say, I I don't understand what you're saying to me. Can you explain it? Like, can you take it back a step? Because, you know, whereas, yeah, I think there, and and it is, I talked about this, Lena Ross came on the podcast a few weeks ago and I talked about this because the shift from expert to beginner mindset is something that I have personally struggled with because as a contractor or, you know, freelancer or consultant, you come in and people have expectations on you and you feel like you have to have all the answers and it's really hard to be like, I don't know. Or when you say change plan, tell me what you mean by that because I have a view of what a change plan is, but I want to make sure that when you say it, we're thinking the same thing. So I actually deliver something that you want, you know? I hear you. I think there's something else there like as, as a couple of things that come to mind as you were saying that. One is around that we are, we we in in our industry, especially in the agility industry, or agile, that we bring a lot of jargon. We need to be very, very, very clear on that people understand what the jargon is, and also yeah. how do we make this jargon jargon common language so it's appropriate for the organization and the person's level of understanding. So there's a lot of 
internal calibration that goes on. And and so we make it accessible. What it is that we want people to be different, to do differently or to be differently. And that's not used to many languages. I mean, I went to the rowing school and the rowing is, you know, something very specific with lots of jargon and language. I have to learn that that's all good. But I think in the business yeah. world, there's, there's different words. It's also good. It's fine. You know, so we don't need to go and have, get hung up on those. That's, I think, uh, point one. So the other thing is about exactly what you said you come in and they're the expert and they're looking to you to solve all the problems in their specific context which not necessarily is something that you can just plant into there and say i'm just going to do this thing it's going to work here mm -hmm. so i see myself as a coach or as a, as a as a change agent as someone that actually leans into and models uh, uncertainty and models let's try and figure this out i don't know where it's going to go but i'm going to bring my expertise and then we're going to work it out together so there's a collaboration here and people sometimes feel very uncomfortable with that. And so, mm. and as, as coaches or as change agents, we need to be comfortable with the fact that we don't need to pretend to have all the answers or bring certainty where there isn't. And it's actually something that helps people, especially when I do my one-on-one -on -one coaching, I'll go in and say, I'm gonna ask you a question and let's see where it goes. Because sometimes mm. you don't know where it goes. I can't always predict what that person's going to behave. God, I couldn't do that at all. You know, mm. it's about unpacking what is is in the space, and yeah. so that's that's our job to become curious and unpack what actually is going on versus predicting what should happen. And mm. that's uh, that's again back to your earlier point. If we predict too many things, there's no space for innovation. There's no space for learning. There's no space for insight. We're just mm. going to tell people this is how it is, and then whoever what they think could be different is not even available to them. Yeah. Yeah, and I, f I feel like we've kind of segged into the next question that I wanted to ask you anyway, which mm -hmm. was what holds leaders and therefore their people back when they're making large changes in an organisation? I feel like we've already mentioned a couple of things. It's... But are there other things that hold leaders back? <laughs> How many change books have you got in your library like that? A Talk lot. about exactly that. A lot. <laughs> exactly. So there's there's lots and lots, and I sort of thought about that as well. I was like, how do I bring this down into a few few concepts and a few things? The first thing that came to me is the quote from Marshall Goldsmith: "What got you here won't get you there," which is what got the organization to the space is is the hierarchical management structures, it's the history of manufacturing systems, it's the the red tape and the governance that kept everything safe, it's the hierarchies, it's the silos for efficiency, and all the behaviors that got rewarded. So it's the entire system of work that got them there and that worked really well for however many years and now it now doesn't so the what what do we need to do is well the first thing is uh, we need to unlearn we need to realize that what we're doing is no longer working and then the significance is this chart doing a systemic change at the structural level so it's organizational structures reward systems how we make decisions how we budget how people are rewarded and the behavioral levels are how do we behave differently and make decisions differently and how would you challenge how would you have vulnerable conversations so it's all of that tied together so cultural change is hard otherwise we would be out of a job right so mm. it's it's a really really challenging uh, premise and it, it it happens when all these things come together so we need to come in with a system view we need to understand where all the challenges are in the system and then start unpicking which one of those will be challenged and start with first where's the biggest in impact where's the things we've tried a number of times and always gave up because they're too hard but if we'd, we'd managed, if we'd mastered it, we would probably get a lot of rewards. That's what we need to go back to. Mm -hmm. of, I think a lot of baggage holds people back, a lot of baggage at organizations. We've done this transformation thing before. Oh, my God. We tried so, that and it didn't it, work. And the subtext is 
that means we can never ever try it again ever like or uh, it didn't work and now that you're going to come back again i'm not going to be bought into that yeah. because last time it didn't work and i got burned so i'm not going to do yeah. it again. which is yeah. actually that's actually fair because i yeah. a failure to deliver change well in the past is uh-huh. a key reason that people will won't get on board with the change because if you you know if you stuff yeah. it up if you did a really bad job people will think so it might not be that the change is a bad idea. People get confused by this. Mm-hmm. It's that it was handled so badly by the organization. Yeah, people, you know, people lost credibility because they went, yeah. oh, this is great. They, you know, they attached their names to it. Yeah. Like you said, they got burnt or they were traumatized <laughs> by how yes. bad it was because it was, yeah. So there's so many, but, and then it, but then that becomes attached to the idea, whereas the idea wasn't bad because yes. the amount That's of times nice I have cool. had people say to me, oh, yeah, we tried that and it didn't work. And it's like, okay, well, you're telling me that as a reason to never try it again. But why didn't it work? Yeah. Was it because the idea sucked or was it because it was just executed really poorly or it didn't, you know, because there's yeah. so many reasons that something might not work and people blame the idea, but they mm-hmm. don't actually blame you know, how it was done and yeah, yeah. but then oh, I could go on. They, they conflate the idea and the method and then mix it all together and it becomes one thing. I think the other one is is understanding where they are in the change curve. Did they get stuck at the bottom and they get didn't get enough support and it kind of is a half-assed thing and now, now nothing's really working and, you know, that's they have, so they haven't seen success. I think that's one of the things. They haven't seen it working. They haven't noticed and experienced success. They haven't seen or experienced or it was part of something that works really, really well. Mm. When you ask people, how many high-performing teams have you been on and how many hands go up and how many can you describe what that means and why was it great and what was different about it? And once you know what it's like, you can then articulate that. So we need to show you and give people that experience. And so that's that's something I think is really, really important is, is around setting up systems that provide that experience to learn in a very supportive manner. We, we, we want to make sure that people can learn at their own pace, uh, at a pace that is challenging enough, but not overwhelming. Yeah. 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 Um, so the next question is around empathy. Yes. So what role does empathy pay, play, <laughs> not pay? Empathy <laughs> does pay, empathy I can pays. tell you. <laughs> but what role does empathy play um, yes. when leaders are leading change? Right. So let's just make sure that everyone understands empathy is is uh, understanding and having appreciation for where the person is at and not feeling for them and giving them pity like sympathy can be. So empathy is is really being with that person and, and appreciating for where they are and supporting them, but not buying into their story in, in a way that leads you to, you know, I suppose, get sucked in or, or not be able to help them. Mm. So I see empathy... Uh, as, as a core one, I think it's it's the core cornerstone of relationship systems intelligence, which I call a skill that to understand that everything's related. So the first step of empathy is getting off the dance floor, getting onto the balcony, seeing the picture, seeing the bigger view, seeing the system, understanding the complex interrelationships and being able to hold that. And people go, oh, that's what it sounds, I don't know how to do that. That's because you haven't tried yet. It's like me, I haven't rowed yet enough to understand and appreciate that rowing could actually be fun. <laughs> right now it feels hard and terrible. So that is the same thing. Like you're looking at that and going, well, how do I actually understand how the system works? And how do I build understanding and appreciation where things are at? What what is what perspective do I need to take? What skills do I need to build? So for me, empathy is the ability to step away and seeing the system for what it is with and holding that and in, in terms of appreciating where it is and what it needs next. So 
empathy is, uh, I think it's a core skill. It's not the only skill. So when we when I work with leaders and we sort of put on the table systems leadership and lead with empathy, they go towards leading with empathy. But I say it's not quite enough because we need to do more than that. We can't just be empathetic. We need to have other things that we need to do in order to shift the dial because sometimes we are very empathetic, but nothing's shifting. So we need to have that systems view and how do we move people forward? How do we move organizations forward? So for me, there's a connection here between empathy and systems thinking and systems leadership and pushing that forward. So it's it's building that those muscles of both, I think is really important. People had to get, get taught empathy quite a lot, I think, in, in, in leadership courses. Not so much as much as much systems thinking, I think. Mm. So I'm coming with so, uh, what does it? Well, going back to the question, what role does empathy play when leading change? It's probably one of the key foundational ones. Yeah, amongst curiosity and mindfulness and um, yeah, those those sort of three. Give it those three. That should be enough. Do you think empathy can be built? Because you mentioned being taught in schools, and this is like something I find about the certification ification of our culture, like change and agility, like it's this certification, get that certification, you know, it's PMP or Scrum or ProSci, you know, this one, and people become Mm -hmm. so focused on that. But one gripe I have with Agile certifications is that they don't talk about this sort of stuff. Like if you're learning you know, how to be an agile coach or how to do, you know, your scrum master, it's all focused on process and people come out of those certifications. And when you're actually, let's say you're going through an agile transformation in an organization, you're trying to coach, like the bit that they don't tell you about is the managing change part, the empathy part, you know, and people are like, oh, I didn't know about this. And, you know, and obviously, look, I have to acknowledge how subjective and not objective because I am a change manager. So of course I'm annoyed that yes. the whole managing change part isn't mentioned in this. <laughs> oh, uh, so I'm not objective, I'm, but I think I feel like this and the empathy is part of that, right? Because if you can't see something, and this is like with change management, if you don't have a base level of empathy for other people, you cannot be a change manager. Like you, it's not going to be the career for you. Like, you know, so I feel, yeah, I feel like there's something there in that it's yeah. just so often overlooked there absolutely is and let me put my soapbox next to yours and step on it because there was something on linkedin recently where someone posted agile coaches are not life coaches and then it's got this whole rant between agile coaches and life coaches and then i had this whole rant in my head around okay a, a life coach there is certainly something around ethics so when you're an agile coach you really are bringing in agile ways of working and processes and systems that enhance business performance is about business outcomes, more customers, better customers, better products, all that stuff, right? So so that's really where you could say that's one definition of an agile coach. And the term agile coach, let's not get into that, is really quite, I would call it my, my agile business agility performance coach, something like that. And that's really what you're talking about when you're saying, well, that's that sounds like it's devoid of empathy and potentially is because it is more of a metrics-driven, process-driven type approach. So then you have another stream, which is life coaching, which really is about people and their personal stuff. As a as an agile coach, if you have a life coaching education, which I do, you don't bring that in because you have a code of ethics that you follow and you're not going to counsel people on their personal stuff because that's not really what, I, what it's for. 
So then you got to go into so well, how do I bring empathy and team effectiveness together? And this is where you look at team coaching. So you're looking at how do I improve communication skills? How do I bring that everyone's uh, I suppose uniqueness and and capability uh, is recognized and appreciated and brought to the forefront? How do I bring and bring that more forefront? Uh, so then you look at uh, even the, when I do the leadership coaching, there's also areas in there in, in organizational context where it's like we need to find a juxtaposition between you're bringing better performance into the business, but also bringing better understanding of, of you know, who you are and your skills and your behavioral skills within that. And empathy is, is one of them. So uh, I see that as, as a, that there is, there is a, there is a specialization that every agile coach has that they go into that they prefer more to depending on their background. And, and so you, you, no one can ever be everything to everyone, but we need to have the T-shaped ability to have appreciation for the for your gaps, and then find the right people to work with and appreciate bringing them in. So agility, the company that that I'm affiliated with, is people over process. So it is about people first and then process. Okay, because this is it's it's not necessarily in that order that you say it has to be people first and then process, but recognizing that people are the most important thing and they influence how the processes are introduced and how the processes are going to be working with them and how they're going to fit into that system. What I've learned over the years is one thing is you can't give people, they say to them, be a more effective team. As a coach, you need to be able to change the system surrounding that so there can be. That's your job. It's your job to shift the system impediments and boundaries and ways of working so that can be more effective. So more of what people are also mad can come out. And uh, that is, there is a skill there, yes. There's a skill of understanding the process and the systems and the tools versus the behavior and the empathy. And you need to hold both at once. Yes. So what I think what you were having a challenge with is when people bring in a big framework and then do a one-size-fits-all implementation of that and expect everyone to be happy with it because that's mm. what the framework said. Mm. And that's that's a very, um, uh, yeah, so it's an immature approach essentially. Yeah. Well, they, I think they have a lack of understanding about we're asking people to do something differently. We're asking yeah. them to work with their colleagues in a different way. Mm-hmm. We're asking people to, you know, like you and I with our examples and, you know, we both had said negative things about our experiences about our first time. So we are not yes. immune. We are yes. humans. Totally. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, people who might be having a negative experience and they might be kind of uh, unsure if there's a place for them in the new organization. Yes. So I think there's sometimes a lack of understanding that we're asking people to do a lot of things differently. And like you said, we're changing culture. And that for some people, some people might be chomping at the bit like, yes, I've been waiting for this. Let's go. I'm ready. Finally. And other people are like, wait, 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 I don't get it. Like, you know, and yeah. just under, yeah. And being cognizant of that fact and that, you know, then that's where, yeah, the change management or, you know, some personal guidance around that may come into play because you can't just roll out the process and go, oh, why aren't people getting it? Um, and in well, the con, oh, go. Actually, as you said that or something, I think I read as well somewhere. It's agile is not you build it and they will come. You can't just say, here's your mm. framework, off you go and you'll mm. fit in. You know, like that's what sometimes is the, the misconception. Something else that I uh, came up to recently and is is um, I, I'm certainly probably in the early majority. I'm I'm not a, a 
if, if anything is new there, I'm an early majority, potentially sometimes late majority person, but I'm not I'm not the innovator. I'm not the first person that jumps onto it. I know that about myself. I kind of have a wait and see approach. However, I get very excited about new things, just me, you know, so I've got a bookshelf full of things, podcasts everywhere. I love new information. I love, I love the sense of adventure that comes with learning. And so what, uh, as I was working with the leadership team, uh, they, we talked about how do we bring about some quick changes and some things that might have an impact for people. And what their senior leader then said is, just be mindful that you might be overwhelming some of the late majority in the laggards, the people that it, that, that will be just too much for them. So how do we keep them engaged and keep them as part of the journey? We can't just find this new great idea and off go and run with it without taking into account how my others might experience that. So can mm. we temper this a little bit? And that's where, you know, you need to find that balance between I want to move fast, but I also need to make sure that I can bring people along who will otherwise be lost, probably rightfully so, because we've moved too fast and the jump for them is too far and too soon. So back to the initial thing, what do we do, communicate, involve, engage, all these different things. But it just really got me to think about uh, experiences where I've had, where I have been, have been a recipient of new information and then got really taken aback because someone told me this, this is what's going to happen and here you go and there was no feedback loops. And I started to feel in that moment more like the late majority. So I'm not going to do this. Yeah. I don't think so. I yeah. didn't told me anything about this before. What are you coming to me now? How dare That's you? It's the natural you know? reaction because they're like, it and is. now change. And you're like, whoa, like, wait. Uh, ooh. And yes. that's a very normal human reaction. And it yeah, if you give someone time to, you know, move through the change curve or the change right. cycle, yeah. rather than I'm giving you the info at the exact time I want you to do the thing that I'm asking you to do differently, then people start to take on a victim mentality and yeah. therefore they may adopt what we refer to as resistant behaviours. Because yes. as you know, I don't believe change resistance is a thing, um, no, but you you can see those sort of resistant behaviors because if yeah somebody's being and then people go you're being resistant and they label you you know yeah. where you're like well I'm just really surprised yes. and feeling a little bit shocked and upset you know yeah. or I feel I feel overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information and I can't I can't take it all in and it's I'm like, expected to know all of this and you just told me yes. yesterday yeah yes yeah yeah and and coming from our end, we've all known this all along for the last six months, probably, and bloop, here's this reveal of the information. I remember this when I was an organization and I was at the recipient of that. And it's something, it's, it was a real moment of humility. It was to implement a new system and there was this big town hall and there was this change manager that was providing us with the information. She spoke really fast. There was a lot of information on the slide and I just sat there and you know how I felt? I felt also like a dummy. I felt like someone, why am I not getting this? So why is this so hard? Should I not be getting this? Is there something like something wrong with me? And then I felt really annoyed by the person and and I kind of didn't buy into it at all. I thought it's just a whole bunch of rubbish. And so very normal reaction. And I was watching myself having that reaction. And the interesting thing was at another level I was also running a change program and I was reflecting on what am I doing that's that yeah am I doing this as well am I like talking very enthusiastically about something that no one gets and has heard before and I'm like yay you know uh so it was a very great moment of humility for myself that I've, I've always kept in my mind around what where am I with this what am I doing mm. I mean, the first place my mind went to that with that example is why was the change manager delivering the message at a town hall? <laughs> it sounds like there's a sponsorship <laughs> problem there. 
yeah. because I have had to be the one who delivers the message before right. and against my will. It's better knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I did not want, that's not how I wanted it to go. No. Because you want the sponsor to do it and then they're yeah. like, no, no, you and it's like, uh, yeah, why is the one, why was the change manager the face of that change? Yes. Um, two, why am I just hearing about this now? No. <laughs> I've got an example that I, when you started talking, because this is a real life example, um, and it was nearly a year ago because I remember it was the week before Grand Prix weekend. So my apartment building that I live in, they put up some security fencing because I live in St Kilda and there's a bit of theft in this yes. area. I know some areas, yep. Um, so I was like, great, okay, yeah, all right, cool. You know, I'm down with that. People have got, like, I've had my mail stolen. People have gotten their cars broken into. Um, that sounds like a great idea. I fully understand. You don't yep. need to explain to me why a security, like some security gates, rather yes. than people just being able to, you know, walk through it. That's great. That means somebody has to, because we have secure entry to the door to the building. So I'm like, all right. So if someone wants to get into my home and they have to get through a gate and a door. I like this. And then one day... Um, I came home from running some errands and in my car park had been installed a huge metal pole right in the middle of the car park. So I no longer had a car park and was like. <laughs> Unintended consequences. Nobody told me that I was going to be car parkless for who knows how long. Oh, that was as part of the change. That was an interim state. Yeah, but it's like impacts, yeah. impacts, yes. guys. Yeah. And I noticed a like. One other of these pillars had been put and it had been put in the middle of someone else's car park. And I'm like, if you're going to do that, you need to tell people, hey, this yeah. is going to be temporary. And then I was chatting to the, um, you know, the workmen and they shouldn't be the ones who, but they went, oh yeah, they're going to be, they're going to redo them. Yes. So, you know, it will be in a different spot. Cause I was like, cause my first thought was, am I losing my car park? Cause I pay rent based on the fact that I have a car park and, you yeah. know, and so I told my real estate and went, hey, and also the Grand Prix was on that weekend. Oh, and God, like, where are you going to put your car, like right? So yes. I live at, yeah, St. Kilda. Yes. I'm, two, I'm a couple of streets away from, uh, you know, the where the yep. track is. And yes. I'm like, this is the worst possible weekend for street parking. That too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, not only did you do this, but you did it like at the worst possible time. <laughs> and I went to my real estate and said, Hey, this has happened. Like, can I get a timeline on when this will be finished? And, you know, I'm also, I'm, I'm a little bit cross that yeah. no one mentioned it. Cause I'm also a change manager. I'm like, how dare you do bad change to a change manager? Yeah. Um, and you, I know you could do better. You know, should wait, hire did me. Did you do an impact assist assessment? I don't think you did. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the, the response from the body corporate was like, yeah, we can, we understand change is hard. I'm like, change isn't hard. No, I just, just, and then. <laughs> and I was like, you're not even like I was just mad that you didn't say, yes, you know, there they, they won't be. And then they went, oh well, because the Grand Prix is, they said, oh, we were going to do it on Friday, but because the Grand Prix is on, we're going to have to put that off for a few weeks because the workmen won't be able to park their cars anywhere. And I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is just so 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 terrible. And you know, there's another thing about that that when I when I something I learned about people and behavior it that but how people like to receive information and how it's meaningful then we need to not communicate at one level we need to communicate at many different levels mm. so the one level is around 
well, we need to do things step by step and here's the process and here are the precise dates when things will happen and this is you know what what happens at that point and this is how we're going to measure it and that's what gives people safety and then there's people who say well what's the possible risks and what could go wrong and that's what people need to hear as well and then they need to hear well what's in it for me and how's this going to be fun and am i going to have to play can i kind of play well with people you know there's people mm. who seek that out they seek the adventure they seek the fun in it and then there's people who say, well, people need to communicate. Well, what, what am I going to get for that? What are going to be the results? So I think one of the things about change is not just communicating it, but being clear on who, who your audience is and what level of information they need. And they all need all four because everyone's, mm. you know, all four all the time. So in, in case for you, the risks weren't spelled out, the data wasn't given, you've got the outcome and that's all you got, mm. uh, but nothing in between. And uh, so, yeah. and then the timing was really terrible. And that's really... That that's something that I always think about when we communicate change because I'm I'm the type of person and I know about myself and I learned that the hard way because you kind of think of yourself well, I thought of myself as someone who's kind of quite chill with change where actually I'm not I need I need to know what are the risks what's going to happen what could possibly go wrong so in a meeting in a team meeting I tend to hold the frame quite consciously of okay so let's talk about the things that could go wrong that we need to tell people yes. what risk do we need to manage yeah. what are the things that could fall off a twig what if it doesn't yeah. and so there's something else about that is that some people see that as a negative and so well you know we shouldn't be negative you shouldn't be thinking about the bad things we should be excited about the change luckily i haven't had this in a long long time but uh, i remember in the past that's happened before and so being very mindful of that who's holding what frame and what energy in this in the room and the team and make sure that is enough the diversity that all these different things are considered there's not, nothing worse than a homogenous change team that all want to have excitement and no one thinks about the detail and the, and the foundation work or the data you know so that's another thing that i think is really important we talk about how can leaders be successful and back to your question do we have enough of the different variety of personalities in the room that think about this from different aspects and angles if we have too much groupthink or too much agreement or people who not contributing in the same way or I mean, in a group large enough, the balance of probability, you get mostly the, the sort of, uh, you know, different people, hopefully. And that ties into how do we hire for diverse mindsets? How do we hire for diversity and, and critical thinking? And do we have the right mix of that in the group to achieve the task? And I think when you talk about changing the role of, of leadership or changing the role of the leadership team, we need to also examine, do they have the right skills and mindset for the outcome? And what mm. can be taught? Uh, and what is what else is needed? Do we need to inject a leader who is more contrary, or do we need to inject a leader who smooths things over a bit more? Do we need to bring in someone who actually has some more data skills and data sort of focus than others do? So there's there's just so many things to to consider and to make sure that we we we're not kind of going down a track of the majority that everyone agrees to because it's easy or because you know there's a group thinks of our group think challenge there. Yeah, I think toxic positivity, there's a huge problem with that in change. Oh, really? Where, yeah, where people, that yeah, everything has to be amazing and we can't actually have open, honest conversations about what we're worried about or what might go wrong or what the yeah. risks are. Like, yep. And then when the change is live, because a lot of changes, you know, they can be bumpy. There can mm -hmm. be defects or things that need to get smoothed over. Um, and then it's like, oh, it was amazing and everybody loved it. And it's like, well, hang on, no, let's yes. let's actually be realistic about how difficult that was and the challenges and how hard people worked to make that happen. You make it seem yeah. like it's all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. And sometimes, yes. you know, and so, yeah, I would say I think actually being honest about <laughs> what is going to be required is key as well. 
there is something though about maybe the type of person that is attracted to a certain role um, and the behavior that they prefer to be in and the environment they prefer to be in. And change can be exciting. And there's a lot of you know, presentations and hoo-ha and glossy brochures and flyers and that sort of stuff. And that's, there's, there's something really fun about that. And there is, there is certainly um, a challenge for some people or behavioral types who don't want to lean into the discomfort. But no one really does, only very few people. And I certainly don't. Uh, but we need to, it's a skill you need to build to be present to the things that aren't working and be present to conflict. Uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm kind of like a person that likes to see the positive and the happy things. And it's something I had to really, really learn. I went, when I went into team coaching education in 2019, that was probably the most challenging education because I had to learn to be present to conflict, not just be there and blank out and, try and scuttle away, exit left, but be present to conflict and respond to it in a manner that resolves it. So mediation and realizing that people just aren't happy and stuff happens and be okay with that. It's not you, it's not them, it's the system, it's the way things happened. And then become really curious about what do we unpack from that and how can we make this? A lot of the time, it's actually people just want to be heard. They want to be acknowledged and recognized for what they're saying. Yeah. Because behind every complaint, there's a broken dream. And mm. that's what we need to uncover. What's the broken dream that didn't get met? Because people have, we talked about change curve and the bottom of the change curve and the burnout. People have dreams and uh, an aspiration and, and a high dream of what this could be for them, for the organization, for the world as a whole, for the environment, all the impacts that we're hoping to achieve through that. And so it's it's sometimes you know, change that doesn't work is littered with people and broken dreams. And we need to be able to be present to that as well. We need to hear their dreams and re mm. reignite what, what it is that was lost in that moment for them and be, yeah. be present to that. Yeah, yeah, good points, good points. <laughs> Yes. Um, so where can people get more Christiana? All right. Speaking engagements or workshops I, or anything coming up? I don't have any anything coming up, but we've got a we've got a meetup uh, that's currently called um, Osc Oz Community. So it's a systems coaching community. We've got to reboot this one to be more open around uh, leadership and systems thinking and kind of all the things we've just talked about, empathy and mindfulness and people and teams. So that's something that will be on our website, peopleoverprocess.com.au. Uh, we're revamping and rebooting that. Uh, there's going to be some stuff coming out. We're going to run some courses in the Abbotsford Convent. Um, I, I really like to get away from the corporate space and go a little bit more alternative, a bit more grounded, a bit more creative and, and be in spaces like that. I yeah. love the convent. I've been running training there for, for years and years and quite decisively so to get people out of the environment that they know and be in somewhere different and it just stimulates the brain in a different way. So that's there's stuff coming up on our website. Um, I'll make sure I, I include the link in the show notes. Include the link in the show notes. Um, all, all of it is there. Also, if you want to reach out to me and say, I really liked the topics that you spoke about. One of them really resonated. Could you come and speak to my team about it? You can contact me, contact details are on the website or contact me on LinkedIn. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll I'll come and talk to you about what what uh, what I can do for you. Very generous. You know, the yeah. Abbotsford Convent yeah. is my place. If there ever was a zombie apocalypse and I couldn't get out of the city, that would be my <laughs> ultimate. Because you've got <laughs> the children's farm right next door. You do. You've got the So food. as if you could take those two spaces yeah. and kind of and they're already pretty fenced right yes so you just need yes. to protect that space so that's where I would be hiding out everyone uh, I have been I watching join you there. It's, yeah it's bar well, too, yeah there's animals so you can make yes. your cheese and your milk yes. and yeah like you can grow stuff yeah there. yeah yes. you've got like a big laundry yeah <laughs> <laughs> Got everything. 
Um, I have been watching a show about the zombie apocalypse, but I every time I go to Abbotsford Convent, I'm like, this is the place in Melbourne. Yeah, in Woodney, yeah. It's, anyway, it's um, fun. It's absolutely beautiful. Anything uh, else you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up? I think I, I'm I'm really excited uh, that I was able to talk about this this topic, and so. Uh, the more I can talk about it and bring these things into the world and have have dialogue with that, um, uh, the, the happier I am. And also, uh, people who are interested in being able to work better in within their teams or within their leadership teams and have some clear understanding of where the gaps lie. That's that's really my jam. Whilst I am an agile coach and putting in agile processes and and all these things, and I do that well. My passion really lies into how do we get people to work better together. So when people come to me and say, I've really got these challenges and it's affecting our performance. It's affecting our ability to make decisions. It's affecting our ability to communicate. And all we have is conflict and factions. That's when you bring me in. Because mm. I'll solve that for you. And Amazing. that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the fun part. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Christiana, yeah. thank you so much for being a guest on Casa de Cambio. I've had an absolute blast talking to you on this sunny Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Me too. And for the listeners, yeah, this is our second to last episode before I wrap up season seven. Wow. Uh, I will say it again. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, and I looked at my stats the other day, 72% of listeners are listening on Apple Podcasts. Write me a review. Give a five-star rating. It helps the podcast get seen. Or just tell everyone you know. Share the LinkedIn post. Other than that, I will be back one more time with another episode in a week. Christiana, thank you. Thank you so much and hopefully see you soon. Yeah, in person too. Bye. Absolutely. <laughs>